Men, if you go ahead and take your Bible then and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to read the first 10 verses of this chapter. And I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand back up for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. The title of the message this morning is Abide in Christ. Uh, how, how original. Uh, I, I wasn't very creative on this one. I just wanted to preach on the theme, and that, that is the title of the sermon today. John chapter 15, verse number 1. The Word of God says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit... He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches." He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit." so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And let's pray again. Lord, thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for the songs that we can sing about who you are and about what you do. Lord, you are truly great, and it is a privilege to be able to corporately worship you. Lord, now as we turn our attention to your word and to this passage in particular, I pray, Lord, you would help us, uh, Lord, to uh, understand what you're saying here and not just know what it says, but then do what it says. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me today to have freedom and liberty to preach and to, uh, Lord, clearly articulate what's been what you've been working in my heart about for for many months, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> well, there's no question that we are living in a day of uncertainty. Try as we might, it's impossible to determine what the future holds. And I know we may listen to some people who have a good track record of predicting what the future may hold, but this, still, uh, no one here knows what tomorrow holds. But praise the Lord, we can uh, face what tomorrow holds so long as we know who holds tomorrow. Corey Ten Boom said this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So in spite of the fact that there is an unknown future ahead of us and uh, some things that perhaps warrant a uh, little fretting or panic, 
such as, uh, well, what's the stock market going to do this year? Uh, inflation, how high, how bad is it going to get this year? And and uh, the one world government, how is that going to affect all that is going on here in our country? And how is that going to affect my life? And all the different things going on. Um, it, and, and with all the things going on, it, it can be difficult to determine what the real priority should be in our lives. I mean, the Word of God tells us to earnestly contend for the faith, that we should be preaching the gospel to every creature. But really, there is something we should be doing before all of those things. It was in Mark chapter number 3 and verse 14 when Jesus called the 12 disciples and sent them forth. Here's what Mark 3.14 says about what Jesus did there. And it's, it's, it's important for us to understand because this is, this is what I'm trying to encourage all of us to do as well. Is anybody, by the way, is anybody getting warm in here? Okay. Guys in the back, could we maybe turn on the AC a little bit to maybe uh, 70 or something like that? Because I think with as many bodies as we have in here, we're doing a pretty good job heating this place up. So... Uh, Mark 3.14, here's what Jesus says, or here's what is said about what Jesus did. He ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. So the first thing he ordained them to do, number one, was to be with him and then to go and forth to preach. So first and foremost, it was to be with Him. Uh, and so as we consider the things that God wants us to do in our lives, before we get to any of those things, we need to first make sure that we are spending time with Him so that when we accomplish God's will for our lives, we'll have His power and ability to do the things He wants us to do. So first, we need to be with Him. And in our text uh, today, in John chapter 15, Jesus was speaking to his disciples there in the upper room right before he was crucified. It was just a few hours later that Jesus would lay down his life on the cross of Calvary and be nailed there to that cross and, and, and be our ultimate sacrifice. Right before that, he announced to his disciples that uh, he was going to be leaving them. And no doubt they experienced some fear. And, and we know that they did because in John 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, their hearts were beginning to get troubled, like oh, everything's going to change. And in spite of the fear they felt and the uncertainty they faced, he instructed them here in John chapter 15 and verse number 4 to simply abide in me. As we face uncertainty in our life, again, there's things that God wants us to accomplish. Uh, he does want us to preach the gospel to every creature. He does want us to get the Word of God out there. He does want us to earnestly contend for the faith and to stand up for truth in this day where truth is being uh, washed aside. He does want us doing those things, but before we do those things, uh, we need to make sure that we are spending time abiding in Him. As I thought and prayed about what to have for our church theme this year, the Lord directed me to this thought. With all the uncertainty we face, it's important for us to not panic, worry, but rather to abide in Christ, to find our peace in Him, to find our purpose in Him, and to find our power in Him. Circumstances change. And I hate to break it to all of you today, but your circumstances will probably change this year. 
Your health may change. Your finances may change. Your job may change. Uh, Things around you may change. Your family uh, dynamic may change. But I'm telling you this morning, I'm thankful to report to you the Lord Jesus Christ will remain the same this year. It was the writer of Hebrews who declared this, that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. So my encouragement for us this year is to abide in the unchanging person of the Lord Jesus Christ this year. To not focus on uh, some promise from man, but rather the unchanging promises of the Lord Jesus himself. And so today we're going to learn more about what it means to abide in Christ. Four truths about abiding in Christ uh, this morning. Let's dive in. First, let's look at, and I think it, you kind of got a sneak peek of the first point there a moment ago if you were paying attention here, the residing, the residing. Here, the Lord Jesus invites us to abide in Him. To, uh, the word abide means to dwell, to rest, to continue to stand firm. I dare say most of us here this morning all have a home. Another word for home is residence. You know, someone might ask, okay, you, you have this address. Is this your primary residence? And most of us would say, yes, this is my primary residence. For us, it's 1304 Redbud Court in Moore, Oklahoma. That's our primary residence. That's where we reside. That's where we dwell. So we all have a residence, a place we dwell in physically. But spiritually, we must also dwell somewhere. And we need to find our dwelling place in our relationship with Christ. He invites us here to abide in Him, to reside in Him, to rest in Him, to dwell in Him. Now, this was kind of strange uh, for them to hear this. Since he just announced uh, a few minutes before, perhaps, that uh, he was leaving. In John chapter 13, if you flip back over there, in, uh, in verse 36, uh, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And they were kind of confused. And, and he, he announced to them in John chapter 13 that he was going to be leaving. And if you flip back to John 15, he now says, Abide in me. And they're kind of scratching their heads. Okay, how can we abide in you if you're bailing on us? Well, Albert Barnes in his commentary mentioned that the Lord is saying this, in effect, remain united to me by a living faith. Live a life of dependence on me and obey my doctrines. Imitate my example and constantly exercise faith in me. That's what he was saying in this. To find your resting place in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't have to be here physically for you to do that. Um, now, what are particularly we are to abide in here when it comes to our relationship with the Lord? First, we are to reside in His presence. In His presence. I like what the Bible or what Jesus said here in verse number one of chapter fifteen. He said, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman." He said, "I am the true vine. He is the only vine, by the way." And we are to abide in Him and to rest in Him, to dwell with Him. Now, what does it mean to abide in 
the Lord's presence. Let me give you an example, okay? At home, at 1304 Redbud Court in Moore, Oklahoma, I reside there, but not only do I reside there, but my wife resides there too. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> um, but, okay, so we're in the same house. But I will admit to you this morning in front of all of you publicly that there have been times where we're in the same house and yea, verily in the same room to where we're there physically together. But mentally, I am so far away from that woman that's standing right there. She may be doing the dishes, and right just a few feet away, I'm sitting on the couch watching. Uh, I don't want to talk about football anymore. Football is a bad subject for me. I'm moving on to the hockey season. That's a lot better subject for me. So I'm watching hockey, and I'm into the game, and my wife's trying to talk to me, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not listening. We're together. We're in the same house. We're, but we're not really abiding together. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and sadly, I know couples, married couples, who've been married for decades, who are nothing more than just roommates. They're in the same house, but there's no connection. There's no real relationship. There's no sweetness in that relationship. There's no real communication. And sadly, I know a lot of Christians who've been saved for decades, who their relationship with God... Oh, maybe they've made a profession of faith where they started that relationship and been born again and have their sins forgiven, but then it's like they're just roommates. Like, oh, I'll come to you when I have a need. I'll come to you when I have to, and that's what roommates do. Hey, when are you going to do this? It's been a while since the dishes have been done. You think you may want to get around to doing that? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? That's a roommate conversation. And sadly, that's too many Christians' conversation and relationship with the Lord. Hey, Lord, I need this in my life now. So I need you at this point. But I'm not willing to have a relationship where I'm talking with you and I'm growing in my love for you. See, this is what it means to abide with the Lord, to have a sweetness, to have a regular communication with the Lord. So can I ask you, what kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? Is it a roommate-type relationship where you come to Him when you have a need? And I'm thankful that He's there for us in those times, but that's not all that He desires to be in our life. He, de he desires so much more. He loves you, and He saved you, not just so that He can be your personal genie that you rub whenever you have a need. He saved you so that you could have a relationship with Him, so that you could know Him and know His love and know His power and know His joy, not just so that He would be your uh, go-to person when you have a problem, because that's a roommate scenario. Look, when there's focused time and attention given to each other in a marriage relationship, that, that, leads, to, that leads to joy, that leads to a true connection, and that's, that's what God wants for each of us as well with Him. A focused attention. When, when I turn off the game and I put down the phone and I say, okay, Julie, you're trying to talk to me, I'm here, I'm listening now. And that's happened... A couple times in our marriage, okay? <laughs> because when the Dallas Stars are playing, I mean, that's a priority, right? Okay, 
It's not. Okay, when, when, when it comes to the Lord, are we willing to push some things aside in our life to say, God, you want to speak to me. The God of creation wants to speak to me. I'm going to carve out some time to allow that to happen. And I'm going to carve out some time so that I can communicate what's going on in my heart too. See, that's real abiding in His presence. And this, this year, I want to encourage our church to step up in this area, wherever you are in it, to start abiding in His presence by spending time with Him. I want to encourage every person to grow in this area by taking time to read what He has to say to you and then to commune with Him in prayer. He wants to speak to you, and He so wants to hear from you. And by the way, if there's distance in your relationship with God, it's not because He's departed. It's because you have departed. Because remember, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so if there's distance, you can't blame it on Him. You need to look in the mirror and say, I need to fix this. And this abiding, when you really truly abide in His presence, it will lead to a resting in Him and a trust in Him. By the way, He says here in, um, in verse number 4, Abide in Me, and then these, these next four words are pretty amazing, and I in you. So not only does He invite us to abide in Him, but He also is able then to abide in us. Which is pretty, pretty amazing. We just got done celebrating Christmas. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. But now, uh, here we're, we're, we're allowed to have God in us. It's a whole new level. Paul said that the fact that Jesus dwells in us is the hope of glory. In Colossians 1.27, he says this, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we are to abide in Him, but He promises to also abide with us. So first we are to reside, reside in His presence. And I've already mentioned it, but we are also to reside, secondly, in His precepts, in His Word. John chapter 15, you look at uh, several verses in this passage all emphasize the importance of the Word of God in our relationship with God. Look at verse number 3. Jesus says, Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Look at verse number 7. It says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Look at verse 10. It says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 14, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. So there's an uh, emphasis on the Word of God, the precepts of God in our lives. I, I would just say this, you're, you're not going to abide with Christ if the Word of God is not abiding in you. Because one of the uh, titles of Jesus Christ is the Word of God. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then verse 14 says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So He is the Word of life. He is the Word of God. And then we know the Scriptures, the precepts of God are also called the Word of God. So, if we're to abide in Christ, the Word of God has to abide in us. And that's what he says in verse number 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. 
Colossians 3 and verse 16, Paul says this. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Anybody remember the next word? Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Gypsy Smith told of a man who said he had received no inspiration from the Bible, although he had gone through it several times. Well, Gypsy Smith replied, let it go through you once. Then I guarantee you will tell a different story. And so that's the deal. When we get into the Word of God, don't just be like, oh, I, don't get, I didn't get anything out of it. Let it just, give it time to marinate in your heart, to ruminate there. Now, is reading the Bible a necessary part of your day, or does it have a low priority in your life? George Mueller, after having read the Bible through 100 times, with increasing delight, made this statement. He said, I look upon it as a lost day when I have had not, I've had not a good time over the Word of God. He said, friends often say, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I cannot find time for Scripture study. He says, perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. For more than a half century, Mueller said, I have never known one day when I had not more business than I could get through. For four years, I've annually I had about 40,000 letters, and most of these have passed through my own hands. Then, as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. And I can just attest to that fact. There are not 1,200 believers in this church, but I'm telling you, pastoring is a taxing scenario. And I can just only imagine 1,200 believers. He says, besides, I have had charge of five immense orphanages. Also, at my publishing depot, the printing and circulating of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I have always made it a rule never to begin work until I have had a good season with God and His Word. The blessing I have received has been wonderful, George Mueller said. So I realize there may be somebody here to say, well, I would read the Bible. I would take time to study it. I would try to memorize it. But if you just knew my schedule, I mean, if you knew how many hours I worked, take it up with George Mueller. <laughs> this guy had some excuses, but he made the Word of God a priority in his life. And I want to encourage all of us here at Cornerstone Baptist Church this year to make the Word of God a priority. Don't neglect it. It's so very important. It's the word of life. Why wouldn't you want to have the word of life in us? I, I, I mentioned last Sunday, most of us are pretty faithful to make sure that we eat a meal a day. Most of us eat multiple meals a day. Some of these teenage boys eat multiple, multiple meals a day. I see these guys eating all the time in our house. And I'm like, seriously, you just ate. He was like, yeah, that was five minutes ago. <laughs> We're pretty faithful to make sure we get physically fed. But remember, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus said, when you pray, give us this day our weekly bread or yearly bread. No, give us this day our daily bread. We need it every day. So we need to reside we need to reside in His presence. We need to reside in His precepts. But secondly, I want us to notice the reasons. 
the reasons. Why should we reside in Him or abide in Him? Uh, why, why should we abide in His presence and His precepts? Four reasons very quickly today. First of all, He is our source of salvation. He is the one who saved us. So He has, number one, the right to invite us and ask us to abide in Him and to spend time with Him. And He also deserves it because He is the captain of our salvation. In verse number one, again, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He is the true vine. He is the only vine. There are no other vines that we need to be attached to. Earlier in, in the chapter before, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to uh, uh, Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus is the only vine that we can be attached to to offer us eternal life. He's the source of our salvation. Peter was in the upper room here in John chapter 15 as Jesus said this. Peter would have heard these words. Um, and here's what Peter would la later on go on to say in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. You can't get saved any other way. Jesus is the only true vine. Everything else is sinking sand. You, you say, well, I'm a good person. I'm religious. Great. I'm glad that you're both of those, but none of those things get anybody to heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can get to anybody to heaven. So, my friend, has there been a time in your life when you repented of your sin and your unbelief and you came to Him for salvation? If not, can I encourage you to come today on this Vision Sunday to make the greatest decision of your life to be born again and to come to Christ and be saved? So, why should we abide in Him? Because He's our source of salvation. But not only that, secondly, He's our source of security. He's our source of security in John chapter 10. If you flip back just a couple pages to John chapter 10 and verse number uh, 20, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And he says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Is Sammy in here this, this morning? There he is. Sammy, would you mind coming on up here and helping me out with something? Appreciate Sammy, future preacher of America here. Come on up. Come on up here. Okay, you're going to stand right over here. And I have a piece of gum in my pocket. And this is going to be me, okay? And when I receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Bible says no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. So I was placed into the hand of Jesus Christ. Okay? You're a pretty strong kid. I know this. You want to go ahead and try to get that piece of gum out of there? Come on. Is it coming out? No. Okay. He's, he's pretty determined, but it's not coming out. Okay. Well, you stay right here. You stay right here. That was John 10, 10 uh, 20, 28. Then John 20, 10, 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So when you get saved... 
Ladies and gentlemen, you get placed in the hand of Jesus Christ and in God the Father. I and my Father are one. Okay, now try to get, get that out of there. It's not happening. He's actually pretty strong. I'm actually having to work at this. <laughs> Don't ruin my illustration, Sammy. <laughs> okay, you can be seated. Thank you, sir. He can't get it out, but listen. This, this, this piece of gum is pretty secure in my hand when Sammy's trying to get it. But if I have one of you bigger guys come on up here, I bet you could probably get it out. But listen, no one's going to get us out of the hands of Jesus and God the Father. We are completely secure in Him. See, once we're saved, praise the Lord, we are always saved. He does the saving, and glory to God, He does the keeping and sealing as well. And we are secure in Him. So once we are part of His family, He, can, he will never disown us. He will never say, I am disappointed in you. You're done. You're out of my family. That will never happen to a child of God. We are secure in Him. That's why we can abide in Him. Because He's our source of security. He's our source of salvation, our source of security. Thirdly, He's our source of strength. For the things that God wants us to do, God does have a purpose for each and every one of us. It's going to be a little different, but overall it's to bring Him glory, and overall it's to get the gospel out to the world. But before we do that, we better make sure we have His strength. Verse number 5 in John chapter 15. John 15, verse number 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And notice this, for without me ye can do nothing. Nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that will make a difference in this world or in people's lives around you. Nothing. We can do nothing without his help. We're completely worthless. Um, back behind our building here, there's a bunch of trees. And I went back behind there um, yesterday. And I saw this kind of sticking out of one of the, uh, the fence there, and it was severed. This is not really valuable. <laughs> Anybody want to buy a branch, a dead branch? I don't really think I'm going to be able to sell it for very much here today pretty worthless because it's not attached to the vine and without the vine without the connection to the vine this is absolutely worthless and you and I if we do if we think we can do all the things God wants us to do without being connected to the vine we're sadly mistaken we're like this branch I mean eventually we're going to wither up like this it's not going to be pretty we're not going to have a lot of value to show for our life. But if we are connected to the vine, we can bring forth some fruit. He's our source of strength. Without Him, we can do nothing. Um, I have here a, uh, a light, a, a lamp. And um, brother, if you turn off the lights uh, just on the stage here. I have here a lamp. We have some light in the darkness, don't we? And right now, this lamp is plugged in. But guess what happens when I unplug it from the source of power? The light goes out. You're like, uh, that was not very 
I kind of guessed what was going to happen there. That wasn't very magical. I thought you'd come up with something a little more magical on this Vision Sunday, Pastor. Like it literally just stopped when you unplugged it. But when you plug it back in, oh, now there's light. Okay, you can turn on the light there, brother. Here's my point. The Lord has called us, each and every one of us as believers, to be the light of this world, hasn't He? He's called us to let our light so shine before men so they may glorify God which is in heaven. Okay, how are we going to do that? Well, I'm just going to do it in my own strength and my own power. Okay, this is what your light looks like. But when you're abiding in Him, you're plugged into the source of power. Then you can shine brightly. So the reason we need to abide in Him is because He's our source of strength. Look, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. If we're going to have the strength to accomplish that purpose, we better make sure we're plugged into the source of power. How many of you, okay, I was going to say how many of you have smartphones? Everybody has smartphones, okay? How many of you, though, like me, when your cell phone gets under 25% in battery, start getting a little anxious. You start getting like, I've got to, I've got to find a charger. <laughs> you, you like physically start getting thirsty for a charger, you know? And so you're like hunting for, for this here. I've got one here. I've got a charger and you're like, I've got to have this because I don't want my phone to go any lower. I can't, I can't let my phone die. That's a bad day. Okay, well, I don't want to be too mean here, but I think many of us care more about the battery power that our phone has than we do about having God's power in our life to accomplish His will for our life. We, we get so thirsty for a charger for our phone, but when it comes to our walk with God... We're fine to go days, weeks without spending time with Him. Meanwhile, I mean, you can go, I can go, I've got the 14 Pro. Oh yeah, dynamic island. Always on display. Oh yeah. Um, but listen, I can go maybe one or two days if I don't use it, and it'll, it'll, it'll die. I need him every day, every hour. There's going to be the song we're going to sing at the end of the service. I need thee every hour. We need to recognize that as we go through our lives that we need to continually be plugged in to him because he's our source of strength. On New Year's Day back in the 1940s, the Tournament of Rose, Roses Parade in Pasadena, California was held. The theme of this particular parade was Be Prepared. Well, during that rose parade, a beautiful float that was covered in beautiful roses was traveling along, but then it suddenly sputtered and quit. What happened? Well, it ran out of gas. But, but you want to know the ironic thing about the whole thing? Was that the float represented the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> See, with its vast resources, its truck ran out of gas, and they had to wait, literally, for someone to go grab a gas can, put gas in it, and come to the truck and put it in there so that Standard Oil Company's float can keep going. 
With all of its vast resources, its truck was out of gas. How many of us are like that float? Who have all the resource in him. He is omnipotent, has all power, and yet you and I sputter and run out of gas. And many Christians simply burn out. Why? It's because they're not plugged into the power source. I believe that the reason most Christians are not shining brightly for God's glory and have zero passion for the loss is because they're not abiding in Christ. They're not plugged into the source of power that they need to accomplish the will of God for their lives. So, friend, can I encourage you this year, get plugged into the source of power. Let's be thirsty for His power as much or more than we are for a charger for our dumb cell phone. Smartphone, sorry. <laughs> Why should we abide in Him? Because He's our source of salvation, our source of security, our source of strength. Thirdly, or fourthly here, He's our source of satisfaction. Verse number 11 in this passage these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Here he mentions when you abide in him, there's going to be great joy that he is going to give you. And it's going to be uh, my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Like We won't need anything else that this world has to offer because his joy has really satisfied us. Think about the man by the name of Solomon in the book of in the Old Testament. And he tried to find his satisfaction in everything that this world had to offer, everything under the sun. I mean, he had pleasure. He had wealth. He had power. He had influence. He had it all that anybody in this world would want. Here's what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Whatsoever mine, eye, mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. He said, basically, if I wanted it, I just got it. Whatever I wanted, I was able to have. But then he goes on to say that I looked at all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He said, it was all empty, because those things can't really satisfy you think they're gonna you think they're gonna give you some type of lasting satisfaction, but it's just fleeting at the, at best. But a relationship with Christ, a real abiding relationship with him brings true satisfaction and joy, joy that is full. David understood this when he wrote Psalm 16 and verse 11, "Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy." At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So why wouldn't we want to abide in him if he is the source of our satisfaction? He'll satisfy far greater than anything else this world will offer. I promise. And he promises too. So why wouldn't you want to abide in him? Because he's our source of salvation, source of security, source of strength and satisfaction. I need to hurry a little bit here, but number three, let's notice not only the residing and the reasons, but let's look at the requirement. And this, one isn't le this, this one is less fun to talk about, but it's found in verse number 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, 
that it may bring forth more fruit. So a branch that is bearing fruit, the Word of God here says that God the Father is the husbandman. He purges it. I mean, isn't this a healthy branch that's bringing forth fruit? Why would he want to hurt it? So that, in verse number 2, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, we've had uh, grapevines. We, we had a grapevine planted a couple years ago in our little garden. It is very little. We are the furthest thing from homesteaders. Um, but we, we did plant a grapevine, two of them. Uh, Abby chewed up one, our dog, and uh, I'm so thankful for her. And then uh, she actually dug this other one up and started chewing on it, but we replanted both of them. Well, one of them, this, this other one, came back to life, and it just, last, last summer, it went bonkers. It was everywhere. I mean, it was, you know, just all up into, I mean, it's right out of Faith's window. And I mean, it was probably trying to get into Faith's uh, room and trying to get into the roof. And I mean, they're real intrusive, these grapevines. And, and if you've ever had the time to observe these, these vines, you'll notice the branches are prone to wander. The vine stays fairly, fairly straight, but the branches like to go and run. The shooters like to spread out. They have a mind of their own, it seems like. They're full of freedom, and they go where they want to go, do what they want to do, and sometimes anchor into wasteful soil. Sometimes they run into areas where they should not be, and there is the need for someone to come and prune those branches back. Now, you and I are sometimes like those branches. We're prone to wander, wanting to do our will, ready to do what we want when we want. Jesus is the vine, and God is the good husbandman who comes along and with his gentle hands prunes and purges areas of our lives that have gone astray. His guiding touch draws us back to the true vine and desires to keep us anchored to Christ so that we would bear not just fruit, but more fruit. The thing about purging is it doesn't feel good. It hurts. And so I have here, this isn't a grapevine per se, but a plant nonetheless. And I'm sure it doesn't like tickle for this plant to have it trimmed. But I'm going to have some fun here tonight, today, if that's okay. But, but there's areas in our lives that, that do need to be uh, purged, aren't there? I mean, after we come to Christ, it's not like we're perfect. Still, we still deal with the sins of the flesh, our pride. That needs to be cut. What about our lust? Does that need to be purged from our lives? Or is that okay to have in our lives? It needs to be purged, doesn't it? And so the Father comes and says, we're going to take that lust and we're going to get rid of that. And you're going, ouch, that hurt. That was, that was an area of my life that brought me some comfort. I enjoyed that part of my life. I got pleasure out of that, and it hurts to get rid of it. Maybe there's somebody who has an anger problem and says, look, this is just how I've always been. So God says, no, you're a new creature. These things need to get purged from our lives. So he wants to purge that. Stubbornness. 
a rebellious spirit. I'm not listening to no authority figure. Uh, authorities burnt me in the past, and, and I'm just going to have a bad attitude towards all authority for the rest of my life. That needs to get purged. A gossiping tongue. Well, that can stay, right? That needs to get purged too. And on and on it goes. You get the idea. And does it feel good to the plant? Probably not at the moment. But, but here's the reason he does that. And again, these were healthy. But here's the reason in verse number 2, that it may bring forth more fruit. It's not that God's up there in heaven going, oh, this is fun. Look at them suffer. <laughs> Let's do another one. <laughs> That's not who our God is. See, our God has in his mind something greater, something a bigger picture in mind. The idea that, hey, if we get rid of some of these things, you know what? They're going to be a little more effective in their witness at work, in their, in their raising of their family. In their ministry at church, they're going to be a little more effective because these things aren't present in their life anymore. Because these things have been purged, now they're able to bring forth more fruit. I read this week about a man who was completely dejected by afflictions in his life. This man was walking one day in the botanical gardens of Oxford when a fine pomegranate tree caught his eyes. One of the stems had been cut deeply with a pruning knife. And he asked the gardener the reason for it, and he received an answer that shed new light on, this, on his troubled soul that he was dealing with all these afflictions that he was going through. The gardener said, Sir, this tree used to shoot up and out so strongly that it bore nothing but leaves. Therefore, I was obligated to cut it in this manner when it was almost cut through. Then it began to bear plenty of fruit. You see, in our lives, it sometimes feels like, God, what, what are you doing? I mean, you're kind of like bearing this down to bare bones here. And God says, that's exactly what we need to do so that you can bear more fruit. A man by the name of Ron Hamilton, he was in the ministry preaching with his father-in-law as an evangelist. Well, in 1978, as a 28-year-old man, a doctor discovered cancer in his left eye that required his eye to be completely removed. Well, after that surgery, he had a patch put on his left eye. And as he traveled around speaking at evangelistic services in churches with Dr. Garlock, children began calling him Patch the Pirate. And around this time, he began writing music for churches. And one of the songs that he wrote was a song we sang just a few minutes ago called Rejoice in the Lord. The last stanza of that song reads as follows. Now I can see. Testing comes from above. Ron Hamilton wrote this. He got to the point where he was able to see that testing comes from above. And it's interesting because of the eye situation there that he would choose those words. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges in love. My father knows best and I trust in his care. Through purging, more fruit I will bear. I don't think it was fun for Brother Hamilton to go through that scenario. But as a result of that, God was able to bear more fruit because of it. 
uh, through his life. So the requirement is that we all deal with this purging, the painful pruning process, all in order that we would be more fruitful in our lives. So the requirement. Last one, and let me just wrap this up real quickly with these quick thoughts, the results. And I'm going to go through this very quickly. One of the main purposes of us abiding in Christ is to produce fruit. It's what we're supposed to do. Each of us as branches are supposed to be bearing fruit. If not, we're, we're really of, like, what, it's not that we're not valuable to Christ. Like, I don't want to get into that aspect here, but, but we're certainly not fulfilling our purpose uh, that, that, that God has intended for each and every one of us. See, it is absolutely and totally expected that each and every one of us would produce fruit. And verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, I mean, he takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. So it's expected that we would bear fruit. Okay, a couple of thoughts here about fruit, the results. Um, first of all, the aspects of fruit. What fruit in particular are we supposed to be producing in our lives? Uh, what's, what are the aspects of, of these fruit? Well, first of all, the, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22-23, I won't go through all of those, but that's what should be coming out of our lives. That should be the fruit of our lives, is the, Holy, the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, gentleness. All of those, there's nine, there's nine parts of that fruit. And, and that should be evident in our life. And if not, we need to ask ourselves, why not? could be that we're not abiding in Him. So the fruit of the Spirit, next, the fruit of souls. Uh, Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise. One of the things that should be coming out of our lives is that not only are we saved, but now we're trying to get the gospel to others, and they're coming to Christ. So the fruit of souls. The fruit of answered prayer. In verse number 7, he says, If ye abide in me, my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. You say, boy, it's been so long since I've had any of my prayers answered. I wonder then, are you really abiding in Him? Is the Word of God really abiding in you? And if so, um, are you really asking in His name? Um, and that's what verse 7 says, so the fruit of answered prayer. Uh, secondly, not only the aspects of, of, uh, of fruit, but the amount of fruit. As you go through this, there should be a greater intensity on this fruit as time goes on. Verse 2 tells us, uh, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, so that's just regular fruit. Later in that verse, we see he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So we have regular fruit, then we have more fruit. Then verse number 5, I am the vine, you the branches. He that bringeth, or abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So we have fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And then verse 16, if you drop all the way down there, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and your fruit should remain. So fruit that remains. This is the type of fruit that we should be producing in our lives. It starts with just fruit, and then we go to more fruit, then we go to much fruit, then we go to fruit that remains, that doesn't fade away, the amount of fruit. But then thirdly, the aim of fruit. Verse number 8. And this really is the whole purpose of it all. Herein is my Father glorified, 
that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You see, this is why you and I exist, ladies and gentlemen, to bring glory to God. That's why we're here. We're not here to make a name for us. We're not here to make us rich and famous. And we're not here to bear fruit so that we get all the credit and say, look at all the fruit I produced. No, so that he can get the glory, so that he can get the credit, because he's the one that did it in the first place through us. It was his power. I mean, this light bulb can't go, well, look at me, I'm a sweet light bulb. It's got to have the power for it to be a sweet light bulb. Because it does no, nothing without that power. So it's all for His glory. We're faithful to abide in Him. He produces fruit in our life. And when that happens, He gets the glory. Here it is my Father glorified. And that's what we're all here for, is to glorify the Father, which is in heaven. So this year, let me wrap this up here. I already said that, but let me wrap this up really. So this year, as we face an uncertain future, and wondering kind of what we should focus on, let's first and foremost decide to abide in Christ. To abide in His presence and His precepts. Why? Well, because after all, He is our source of salvation, and security, and strength, and our source of satisfaction. And along the way, that may require Him to purge some things from our lives. Let's allow that. Not fight it, but allow it so that we can bear fruit all in order to bring Him glory. That's what it's all about. That's the end game, ladies and gentlemen. To bring glory to God because He deserves it and desires it. And so this year, I hope that each and every one of us will decide, and I want to encourage you to decide to abide in Christ this year. Let's pray together. Lord, I do thank You for uh, the time together today. And Lord, uh, I know there was a lot here that I mentioned. But God, I pray that you would um, make this decision concrete in the hearts of people here today. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would decide to abide in Christ, to find our satisfaction, strength, security in our relationship with you. Help, it, help us, Lord, to not treat you like a roommate. Or we only come to you when we need something rather to have a close, sweet relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to carve out that time and to push things aside so that we can give you our full, undivided attention. Lord, it's amazing that you want to give us your attention. You are God. And so, Lord, help us to be willing to reciprocate that in our own lives, knowing that, Lord, this is the first priority for us. Before we go out and preach the gospel, before we go and uh, turn this world upside down, Lord, first you want us to be with you and to abide in Christ. Help us to make this decision today, each and every one of us.